Hello, Ambush, and welcome to this week's episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast here with me, Colton G. And this week on the show, we are joined by Derry Green of Honey Moon Sweet. We're talking about the band's new single, Find What You're Looking For. Yes, the band continues to stay in the light as this new single sees Honeymoon Suite back on the charts for the first time in 19 years. And we're going behind the music of this new single of Honeymoon Suite's upcoming album here today with Derry Grin. And you're going to be hearing the track too, but that's not all. Because we're going all the way back to the start when Derry ended up meeting lead singer Johnny D when he joined Honeymoon Suite and when a song that he wrote named New Girl Now helped carry the band across North America, pretty much making them a household name. And we're going to go into what that process was like. What it was like having some of the Honeymoon Suite catalog used in high-profile movies and television shows like Miami Vice, like Lethal Weapon. Of course, there was also a little bit of troubles along the way, like during their third album when lead singer Johnny D had his leg broken when he was hit by a car in L.A., We're going to talk about how that affected that album's process. We're going to talk about the group's albums through the 90s and the 2000s. We're going to touch on that. And then, like I said, we're going to get into the details of these new albums, the new tracks, including their last year single, the 2019 single, Tell Me What You Want. And we're going to dive into the music video for that song. Heck, we're going to dive into, well, uh, Darius, we'll call it Love of shooting music videos you guys can find out more about that as we get into this episode all of this and more in today's episode of the desert tiger podcast and it's all brought to you by deserttigermerch.com head on over there cop yourself something wrap this show everywhere you go and do it in style and with that being said I think it's time that we went ahead and spun Honeymoon Suite's latest single, the one that finds them back on the charts. Yes, this is Find What You're Looking For. This is our time, our place, our dream, and it's a real thing. 
This is Colton Geschwantner from the Desert Tiger Podcast. Colton, how are you? I am fantastic, and how are you doing today? I'm good today, man. Very good. Ah, I, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Where are you? I am located in Kamloops, British Columbia. Wow. Okay. Know it well. <laughs> How's everything out there? Everything's uh, going pretty good, actually, um, out here in the uh, Okanagan, Thompson, Nicola region. It's um, still staying pretty healthy and otherwise, which is good. And it's also just, you know, a beautiful day otherwise, which is nice. No forest, like not too many forest fires out this year. So it's just been a good summer. Yeah, man. I love that part of the country. We come out there every year and do some shows in the uh, interior there. Great place. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, you guys were supposed to be here um, this spring, were you not? That's right. We're supposed to be. We were supposed to be a lot of places, but <laughs> not to be this year anyways. Yes, of course, but the future, the future can hold beautiful things, though. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right, so are you ready to go? Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. So... We jo- come together today to talk about Honeymoon Suite, who of course is coming onto the charts for the first time in 19 years, right before the 40th anniversary of the band. But of course, there's a little bit of a journey to get there, and we're talking with Derry, the lead guitarist, the chief songwriter 
of the group. And of course, he wasn't exactly with the group when it started. So my first question, Derry, is how exactly did you come into the Honeymoon Suite fold after their original lead guitarist parted ways with the group? Johnny and I were both living in Toronto at that time. We hadn't actually never met, which is odd because we both grew up in the Niagara Falls area playing in different bands. Johnny moved up to Toronto and started the band, and I was kicking around town with another band, and that uh, that kind of went south. So we had a booking agent who was a mutual connection for us who later became our manager, and um, he was booking Johnny's early honeymoon suite band and I phoned him up one day and said I just lost you know my gig in this other band you got anything uh, any bands that are looking for a guitar player and he put Johnny and I together he thought I'd be a good fit and bang you know good call (laughs) very good call it's been a uh, powerful duo that has gone the distance for a long time and of course it starts out with that connection and a song that still carries you very strong throughout new girl now so looking back what was it like to write that song and to have it put you on the preface uh, of the canadian music scene wow well i never would have uh, thought that when i wrote the song which was several years <clears throat> earlier when i was in college actually sitting in my kitchen just jamming out you know i was at a music college and just starting to write songs and uh, i wrote that one fairly quickly and i kind of put it on the on the shelf i demoed it at at this college and put it on the shelf for a while and did some other gigs and then when i hooked up with johnny i realized that we didn't have we could be much more than a cover band and we could start doing originals I uh, played the demo for Johnny early on, and he said, we have to do that song. we got to put it in the show. So we did, in with all the cover songs we played to keep working. Um, fast forward a little bit, the Q107 Homegrown Contest uh, came up, w- was on at the time, and we submitted a demo of New Girl Now to that. And it won, got airplay, got the labels out, got us our record deal, did our record song came out it was an instant hit man it's just it was yeah fast track it was really amazing Mm-hmm. no it definitely puts you right at the face of pretty much the 80s connecting you to various different movements and connections as you guys continue to grow as you continue to move and of course one of the first things that you guys did in the United States as you broke into that market was um, the American bandstand with Dick Clark. What was it like breaking out into America after probably playing the Canadian uh, bar scene for quite a few years? Exactly, man. It was uh, mind-boggling. I mean, the first year or two that uh, Johnny and I had Honeymoon Suite going, we were putting a new band together, like getting the right people in the band while we were a six-night-a-week cover bar band playing the Northern Ontario circuit. You know, fast forward, like I said, again, we get the record deal and everything else, and we were signed to WIA in Canada, but at the same time, we had some uh, American labels came up to one of our showcase gigs in, in Toronto, 
and uh, Warner Brothers signed us in the U.S. So that was the the big thing that got us uh, released in the States. It was also the dawn of uh, MTV and much music. So we were making videos now, and that got on uh, much MTV. So just one thing leading to another, we got an American booking agency, and they started looking for tours. So going from playing a six-nighter in Sudbury and maybe six months later we're on a tour bus supporting uh, Jeff's Hotel in arenas in America. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. No doubt from taking the band just straight to the road. And, I mean, obviously you guys were on the road before doing six nights a week, but it's an entirely different beast altogether. So... Once you guys are out there, you're on the road, suddenly you're becoming platinum musicians. How do you guys feel like you were growing? How was the American market accepting you? And then coming back home, what was it like to come back to Canada after having all of that success? Well, I think a lot of it is that we were ready for it because from day one, John and I didn't want to be a, a cover band. We wanted success. We wanted a deal. We knew we had the goods to do it. So we worked really hard, old school. Even when we were in the bars, we played every night, and we, we worked on our show and our stage presence. So all of a sudden, you're, you're on an arena stage. We kind of weren't deer, you know, a deer in the headlights. We kind of had our stage beat. We knew... We knew how to play a stage, and we uh, we adapted well and, and put on a show because we had our shit together. Um, we were prepared. But going in America, man, it was so much fun. Like, the audiences down in the U.S., they are crazy. If they love you, they will let you know, and if they don't like you, they'll let you know right away, too. <laughs> Fortunately, we, we connected with the kids down there and the audiences, even opening for a band like Jethro Tull with an older audience, we were accepted for the most part. You know, I thought people would throw stuff at us because we're so different, but that was just an amazing experience. We, um, we connected and people, people loved the band. We got such great reception. And of course, then coming back to Canada, with all this other you know, stuff going on, record going platinum and whatnot, and the videos going crazy on much music, we were able to come back and actually headline a, a short time later um, in Canada doing the hockey arenas. So again, I can't, uh, you know, it's all such great memories. For us, it's like a you know, a dream coming through. Okay, so you mentioned a few times the uh, importance of the music videos of that time. So... How fun was it to do videos at the time and sort of how, like, of course, music itself has changed, but so has the music video game. So comparing, say, the most recent music video that you guys released for Tell Me What You Want to, say, the 80s, what sort of vibe was it like back then? Um, videos are not fun to make. Let me tell you, there <laughs> any band of you know, they're actually a lot of work. They're torture sometimes, but they have to be, be done, you know, because they're really important. And people see your video and it's like three minutes of this amazing footage and, you know, you're going crazy, but 
they don't realize that it took three days to shoot that stuff. It's like a lot of sitting around and waiting, a lot of long hours, like working all night. Um, but that's the, you know, that's the part I don't like. But you do it, and the end result speaks for itself. So I'm glad we did all those videos. And again, the one we just did for uh, Tell Me What You Want, again, it was the same thing. We were in a factory. We shot in there for two days in the middle of summer, and it was sweltering hot. But you put on your game face, man, when the cameras are rolling, and uh, we knew, you know, we knew what to do. You just, you just push through, and at the end of the day, you get a great video. So I don't mind uh, making them at all because I know it's important. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also had the opportunity to work on a couple other videos, even if they weren't necessarily your favorite thing to do. Of course, being able to even work in a uh, Pepsi commercial in 1986, which happened to be the first commercial to air in the USSR. So how did you earn that opportunity? And knowing that now that you were kind of a piece of history in that part of the world, what was that like? It was kind of, you know, freaky in a way. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't something that I was looking for at all. It's just one of those, you know, right time, right place things that, that happened. We were, uh, spending a lot of time in, in L.A. during that period doing other things, tours and interviews and recording and, and that. And uh, a manager um, came to me, my manager, and said that through, through Warner Brothers, somebody had uh, contacted him. Uh, Pepsi was shooting this big uh, commercial in L.A. and they'd auditioned a bunch of guitar players or a bunch of actors who looked really great on film but you hand them a guitar and they didn't look, they didn't look natural because uh, they weren't guitar players. So I just, my manager called me up and said, there's this commercial. I don't know if you, you want to give it a shot, just go down to Melrose and, and Vine or wherever it is. Just go down there and, and, and do an audition. So I think I walked in and they gave me like a tennis racket or something. Uh, it was so hokey. Uh, I didn't really take it seriously. So I just auditioned. I, I just, synced along to the track that they had, and then I left. And a couple of days later, he called me and said, they want you to do the commercial. So I'm like, what? You know, it was a fun, again, like I said with the videos, that thing took six days to film in, in L.A. In, in a warehouse because it was Pepsi and it was a huge, huge budget. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, geez, I've got a lot of mileage out of it. It wasn't something I intended to do, but I did it because at that point, it's all good for the band. It's good for exposure. It's all good for, good for us, so I did it. And uh, it comes back to haunt me now, over and over. <laughs> well, of course, you also had the opportunity to use your music or writing skills in the film world as well being able to write songs for movies such as The Wraith and Lethal Weapon and even having your tracks used in various TV shows and movies with one of your tracks even being used in Miami Vice, which, I mean, must have been a lot more easier than the film method. What was it like having your songs being used in movies and film? And what was it like writing 
song specifically for these sorts of situations as well? Well, first of all, we didn't. The, all of the songs that we've had used, picked up for film and, and whatnot, those are songs that we'd already released on our records. So we didn't actually write any songs for the movies. Nobody came to us and said, can you write the title track for this song? It was kind of after the fact, except for Lethal Weapon, which was not written by us. Um, that was presented to us as a demo when we were recording with Ted Templeman, our third album in L.A., that came to the studio one day as a side project, and Ted asked us, there's this uh, this new movie coming out called Lethal Weapon, and they want they think your band would be perfect for it. Here's the demo. So we cut it, and the rest, you know, you know it got in the film. As for the other songs, the movies and the TV, especially Miami Vice, they must have loved us because they used three, three of our songs in three different episodes, including the final um, you know, series finale of, of that, uh, the last episode of Miami Vice, which they used Bad Attitude. It's pretty amazing. I mean, we must have had a good friend in the, uh, in the music department. Um, those kind of things just came through the label or through a, a really good publisher who would be looking for sync and movie stuff. As the songwriter, I was just on top of the world because it's it's great for me to to have that happen, and it's great for the band. I was uh, I was very happy about that. Mm-hmm. No, there's uh, some a few fans of the '80s and people who lived through it say that there's some iconic moments that they felt led to what they was the. Uh, ending of that movement and hearing honeymoon suite in the finale of miami vice is definitely one of those moments for a lot of those people yeah yeah i mean it's it's really um it's really a thrill uh to go to a movie theater or to watch tv or something and then hear your song come in at some point and a lot of times they'll only use you know five or ten seconds of it um, but it's still very cool to have that happen. And, you know, the pay is, the pay is pretty good, too. <laughs> That's never too bad at all. So you mentioned your third album, Racing After Midnight. Of course, during the uh, production of this album, when you're getting to L.A. to create this album, your lead singer, your songwriting partner, Johnny D, ends up getting his leg broken after getting hit by a car. So what was it like to suddenly be without one of your biggest songwriting partners? And what was that album uh, just like? Because you guys brought in a friend to help you with the recording process. Well, what happened there was the record was basically not done. Johnny had pretty much done almost all his recording. And he went to pick up his girlfriend at LAX. Um, She was flying in from Canada. And some stupid lady hit him as he crossed the, uh, you know, he crossed the main uh, street there to get into the terminal. It was terrible. And he really busted his leg up bad. So they had to fly him back to Canada for for surgery and get multiple pins put in. It was was a terrible time. You know, it really hurt him bad. But we, um, we had the record done, fortunately, and it didn't really stop us that badly. Once Johnny was... Uh, repaired. Uh, he flew back to LA 
and he finished his final, uh, I think he had one more vocal to do, and he's out in the, uh, on the studio floor on crutches and a cast singing the final vocal tracks. So we persevered, man, and we, we got it done. And uh, I think even the first video that we shot for that album, Johnny actually had a cast on his leg, although you, you wouldn't know it. So you know what? You just, uh, these things happen, and we, we press on. And Johnny was a real trooper. And, uh, you know, you, you go on. Work through it. Uh, Very impressive. Definitely the uh, road warrior musician mentality for sure. Okay, so moving on from those moments, you guys sort of uh, start to uh, saunter off with um, some of the excitement and the hype that you guys had built in the U.S. You're still finding moderate success in Canada, but you guys have a moment in the 90s where you lose quite a few of your key members and release one last album in that first string of Honeymoon Suite albums, that being Monsters Under the Bed. So that last album of that first string, what was that experience like? Monsters is uh, was a different record for us. Um, it was our last one for uh, Warner Music. And yeah, uh, Dave and Gary had left the band at that point. Uh, the music was really changing in the beginning of the 90s with you know, grunge starting to happen, which just killed all the 80s bands. But that's what happens in music. Um, we went to Morin Heights in Quebec, me, Johnny, and Ray, and uh, we recorded up there. It was a great experience, and I think that album stands on its own as a really great classic album. It's not like the big prize or the first album, it's different. I think it's more mature. There's different subject matter on there. But uh, at the same time, I think it's an amazing album. It, but it's, it's just a different flavor. But that's mm-hmm. fine with me because I don't want to make the same record over and over. And you've got to challenge your fans sometimes that so you might do something a little bit different. However, you can't stray too far from what your sound is. And I'm very aware of that. Um, and I don't think we did. And since then, we we've gotten we've gotten back to that, especially with the new single. It's like we we are who we are, and that's what we we put out. Well.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. Before we jump back into the return to the new sound, I just want to touch briefly on the 2000s records like Lemon Tongue, which probably was your uh, most explorative record when it comes to sound. So, like you just mentioned, you took some time with Monsters Under the Bed with Lemon Tongue, a little bit of a break in between just for various reasons, but you still continue to explore before returning to a bit more of your classic sounding Clifton Till. So what was the Lemon Tongue experience like, and was it a conscious decision to return sort of to that classic sound that you had, or did it just sort of come naturally once you transitioned back to it? When, um, you know, when you make a record, it's really like a snapshot in, in time for where you all were and the music you were writing. So Lemon Tongue was like the one after it, which was Clifton Hill. These were independent albums that were not a large budget records, and we were doing them kind of like on our own. I think they stand alone as their own. You know, there's something great about both those albums. But Lemon Tongue was a little bit different. I think we strayed from our classic sound. I think that maybe I was a little influenced by the grunge and the new music that had come in during that time. And it, it shows in the writing. It's, yeah, it is, it is different. There's some interesting things on that record. But I don't think it's the classic uh, sound of, of Honeymoon Suite. But that's the process you go through. And uh, it's just another part side of our, our sound. Some people actually like that record. It's not very well known, but it was, the, it was the best we could do at that time, and that's what you do as a band. You just, to me, it's more important to keep writing and putting music out every every so often, and just to keep keep things going, and that's what we did. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about the latest decade, moving into the last few years. Uh, of course, the last decade has sort of been a little bit different for the music industry. Lemon Tongue, Clifton Hill, like you said, were a little bit more independent records. You guys released an EP in 2016 called Hands Up that was uh, released through, uh, what was it? It was Pledge Music in 2016. And now you guys are signed with a record label again. So what has it been like sort of to navigate this uh streaming landscape yeah well as you know um the business has changed so much since back in the day in the 80s when you had record labels signing bands and you had large budgets and you're actually selling albums and cds it's not like that anymore and hasn't been for a long time so with the advent of home recording a lot of studios have closed up, and a lot of bands are making records in their garages or in their home studios, which isn't a bad thing. But we would, like I said earlier, keep on. I, I keep writing, and I'm always pushing Johnny to make to make new music, and we find always find a way to do that. So, yeah, the new the new album. Um, first of all, the hands up. Yes, it was a pledge music. Uh, Thing, which was a great way to get an album done at that time. They, of course, have gone have gone under the Pledge Music Company, which was left a lot of uh, they screwed a lot of people. 
out of out of money because they kept all the money and it was a terrible time and we had done our record just before that happened oh, wow. fortunately we had it was a great experience for us because you, it's basically your fans paying for your album so we tried it and we got an amazing response we got a great amount of money raised and we put it into the album and it was a really cool experiment to to get that done using your fans money to write and record and release a record and i think it it it's a great album and i'm happy that we did that but of course i'd never go through that again because it's a lot of work and what they did to people the hundreds of thousands of dollars they screwed people out of uh was terrible and i'm glad that we just we just missed that that bullet moving on now to the new album yes we uh we haven't had a label in a long time like that and my friend mike crumpus who's the label who started the label uh who's a canadian guy actually he and i uh, i kind of hooked up with him through my daughter leah who's a singer songwriter initially uh mike and i and leah wrote together for her leah's record which she put out last year and then subsequent to that mike started the label and was always a fan of honeymoon suite told me to send him some new songs i did he loved it and me and mike and johnny started to work together he signed us to the label and here we are um almost with a record done and mike's an amazing producer and i think this is the best thing we put out in a long time i can't wait to get it done but have to wait for the pandemic to be over <laughs> for sure and even with this little break up due to the pandemic the fans and the listeners seem to be agreeing that this might be the best thing that you guys have released in a long time with both of your singles getting a lot of really good feedback with tell me what you want and find what you're looking for especially the later is it's your first single to chart in over 19 years is the last time i checked it currently sits at 23 on the billboard mainstream rock charts what has it been like to finally see your names back up on the rock charts and to just have this wellspring of just positive feedback for this new music um well i couldn't believe it at first because uh it's been again because i said radio has changed so much bands rock bands finding a very hard time getting on the radio because the charts are all hip-hop and pop um and i didn't think we'd be on a chart again i accepted that it's not because our music's bad it's just radio is not like that anymore unfortunately but then um i hear it you know getting airplay in canada it, it was very organic it was kind of out of the blue it's on the charts and i'm like you're kidding me but no it was and people love the song is it's very strange and i hope radio keeps going in that direction where they actually start playing the music that they want to play maybe on a regional basis maybe getting phone you know phones from people calling in the way it used to be and the music kind of getting played like that and not programmed by some corporation it's really great what can i tell you mm -hmm. no it's uh, really definitely hearkening back to the day where you 
you well you don't just get that one hour of the day where you get to call in and make a request you just you feel like you can call in and get to know your radio dj and ask them for your favorite songs and it's really nice to see that movement coming back yeah it's the way radio should be it's for the people you know it's your it's for your fans not just the listeners Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, of course, we touched about the music videos earlier, and I know that it's not really your exactly your favorite part of this world, but Tell Me What You Want was probably your first music video released in a very, very long time. So what was it like to finally uh, have that experience again? Did you, re- did you uh, go into it? Were you dreading this moment just knowing that before you didn't really exactly like it or did you come out enjoying it more than you thought you would no it was it was like similar to having your song charting these are things that although we've never stopped touring we're always out there touring and playing shows the radio charting and the video element of our career has 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 gone has been gone for a long time because of the change in the business. But shooting a video for that song, again, I was a little apprehensive. I'm like, you really want to do a video? Well, uh, man, I hope we look good. And uh, it, it, came out, it came out great. It was something that I was a little apprehensive about because it's been so long when there was a time when we were shooting videos constantly. So it's like riding a bike, you know, and we just got back on that and you go and, I think we did it in a factory in the middle of summer and it took two days of shooting day and night and we just did it. You know, it's like riding a bike and I think it looks really great. No, it really, really does. And it shows off not only the band, but the song really nicely. And of course, like we said, this is hyping up to a new album. So before everything sort of got shut down, where were you guys at in the production process of getting this album out into the world and uh, who's producing this album all of that fun details the the tracks we're pretty close to being done um there's a few vocal tracks and some guitar stuff that i need to do but i would say the album's about 90 percent done our producer like i mentioned earlier his name is mike crumpus he used to live in nashville where we started recording then about six months ago, we decided to move to England. So where Mike goes, we have to go. So he's got a studio over there in his house. And Johnny and I make several, two or three trips over there earlier this year. The last one being in February, um, we came home and then the pandemic hit. So that kind of put things on hold. In the meantime, we, we had enough uh, tracks done to mix two songs and like you mentioned and put the, the two singles out to keep things going and we're just waiting for the opportunity where it opens up and I can go to England and, and get my my tracks finished and the sooner the better but it's out of our hands at the moment and it's going to come out and it's like it's going to be amazing I can't wait for people to hear the rest of it but we're in a holding pattern like everybody else right now and we'll get it out when we can. Well, of course, like you said, everybody's just sort of dealing with things day to day and as we can and as the world reopens, we'll get back to 
creating and doing the things that we can. But as we're doing that, you guys are still managing to stay connected with the fans through various videos and other things. So before the pandemic, did you have any plans to do any guitar tutorial videos or was this just sort of spark of the moment thing just born out of this whole situation? I think I was doing them before the pandemic. It's something I've always wanted to do. You know, we're, we're pretty on top of the um, trying to stay engaged through the social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. I feel that's really important. It didn't, you know, the business changed. Now it's all social media for the younger bands and that, and you, you kind of have to adapt to the new model. But in a way, it's good because if we release something or we put something out on Facebook or Instagram, it's instantly all over the world. So we're connecting with fans in South America and Germany and Japan and instantly, which is a great thing. So I've always wanted to, um, I would get a lot of guys sending me you know, messages or on our Facebooks, you know, asking me to show them how to play this solo or how to play that song. And uh, I thought it'd be fun. So I started doing a few little things myself just for fun, and, and the fans loved it. So when I can, I, uh, I'll, be doing, I'll be doing more of that. Yeah. Fantastic. And, of course, you guys have also opened up the Honeymoon Suite Vault. So is this uh, some things that you guys had, like, archived and well done, or was this uh, all of this classic um, keepsakes? Were they just in somebody's attic and you just stumbled upon them one day, or how did that come about? Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's so much history. In order to keep your content out there, that we've there's, there's so much video and old photos I mean, you're talking 35 years of history, and uh, it's nice to mix it up. If that's what you're talking about, we'll post some of the the older the older stuff, you know, along with the newer stuff. It's just great content that keeps the the fans engaged. Mm-hmm. All right, for sure. And of course, some of those other things that seem to be coming back is through the years, you've had some very classic guitars and in the tell me what you want video you sort of revive one of those classic guitar designs it used to be on a Kramer before it's your classic yellow tire tread so what was the decision to bring that back and what guitar are you playing it on right now well that guitar never actually actually left that's um, that's one of my main guitars still in the live show that's just, they call that my, the Dairy Grain Tread, Tread 1. And uh, I've got two of them. They're both originally Kramers from the 80s. And um, the main one that I play is a Kramer, but it's, a, um, it's kind of a mutt. It's got a Godin neck on it. So the reason I say that is because um, Godin Guitars in Canada is actually going to be producing a Dairy Grain signature model Tread guitar very soon. Oh, wow. Yeah, my first one. And I've been working with that company for, for many years on other things, but they approached me maybe six months ago and said, we'd, you know, we'd really like to, uh, to work with you and put us out. What do you think? And I'm like, of course, I, I, would love, I would love that. So we're working through it now. 
it's really exciting. Um, I'm getting a prototype soon, and it's going to be uh, available hopefully later this year. The the, the tread model guitar, and it's, it's basically my my main one. But on stage, you know, I have Strats and I have a Les Paul, and um, uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got tons of guitars. But the um, the ones on stage, the tread people just they just love that, and uh, I'm going to continue to to play that mostly. All right, awesome. Well, I hope that one day I can see you strutting it across the stage and continuing to uh, pull out that fantastic honeymoon suite stage presence, uh, hopefully, in the future. Yeah, sooner sooner than later, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. All right, Derry, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today to talk all about Honeymoon Suite your guys's upcoming album yeah man thank you nice talking with you ah yes it truly was nice to be joined by Derek Rehan of honeymoon suite this week and we played we played their new single find what you're looking for at the beginning of the show we played their 2019 single tell me what you want in the middle of the show and you can find both of those tracks plus the entire Honeymoon Suite catalog, yes, on your favorite music streaming service. If you're one of those people who's lucky enough to have it on vinyl already, go ahead and throw it on. Give it a spin. But if you don't, yeah, your favorite music streaming service has it. And when you're there, hit follow so that when the new Honeymoon Suite album finally does drop it can be in your ears asap and with that our final roaring dtp thank you to Derry green of honeymoon sweet for joining us here today to tell us all about the band and i have to go ahead and thank the man eric alper for going ahead and setting the whole thing up you guys know what it is we have mad love for ea we also have mad love for you, the loyal, dedicated Am Bush, for tuning in once again to this week's episode of the DTP. If you're new, if this is your first time listening, or if you just haven't joined the Ambush, it's super simple. All you have to do is hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service, maybe the one you're using right now. You can also support this show by reviewing us. Five stars would be fantastic. You can share this episode. It's as easy as taking a screenshot and sharing that picture. And if you do, we would be stoked if you tagged us, the Desert Tiger Podcast, me, Colton G, or Honeymoon Sweet, so we can show you the love you deserve for doing so. And of course, if you want to go that one extra step, it is DesertTigerMerch.com so that you can rep the show by copping yourself a little bit of merch. Yes, it's that easy. Next week, we're going to be releasing two episodes. On Tuesday, we're joined by Vanden Duel. And on Friday, we are joined by guitar virtuoso Ariel Posen. Yes, two episodes next week on two different days, and it all goes down here on the desert tiger podcast so let's get a little bit real today when i'm recording this it is my eight years of being well 
Uh, alcohol free. Yes, since my last relapse. So, like I've said in the past, when I tell you to put your paws in the sand, make your journey, you know, find your mountaintop, find your desert oasis, I always tell you that there's going to be pitfalls and troubles and things you need to conquer. Well, that was one of the things that I needed to conquer eight years ago, and since then, since then, what, I have, uh, toured Western Canada as a musician, helped a band put out an EP, started a podcast that has released over 100 episodes and been listened to in over 80 different countries by, oh, um, a hundred, over a hundred thousand times, uh, and I've also refed as a professional wrestling referee, just to name a few things, and you too can go out and achieve incredible, amazing things because you deserve to have that opportunity and you should go out there find your desert oasis find your goddamn mountaintop climb to the top let your voice roar out across the canyon across the valley and let its glory reach the people that it needs to and until next week bye And stay beautiful because you are.